Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 9. This is the Lord's word. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, 
and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I, have make, so I, and so I make you despise and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone, once again. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's say hello to each other. Just look around you. Give a nice little wave to one another. Praise be to the Lord of hosts who gathers us here together to worship him. As we proceed through the book of Malachi, we come to this book with a sober mind. The prophets are not people to be trifled with because God has given them a hard task. The prophets of the Old Testament were not there to cheer people up. But the prophets of the Old Testament were there to rebuke the people, instructing them that they have lost their way, instructing them that the Lord who loves them and saves them, well, that he himself has demanded more than simple worship of words, but the demands that people's hearts turn to him. The prophets were scorned. The prophets were cursed. The prophets were thrown out for the words that they had spoken. But God longs for our hearts. Not that he's an egotistical God, but the God who made us, who made us, knows what is best and good for us to worship him. Malachi is in that tradition. And he comes to speak these words to you and to me. In order for our church and ourselves as individuals to have revival, repentance must proceed. But in order for repentance to enter, we must hear hard words with humility. And once we receive those hard words and the Spirit allows us to see God's glory, allows us to repent, and allows us to receive the full forgiveness of God himself, then and then only do our hearts' joy return. And so I plead with all of you here today as we continue on this series in Malachi. Receive these words with humility. Receive these words as a God who loves you. Receive these words as a parent may teach his child. And allow your hearts to be softened by him. Last week, we went through the first of six disputations between the Lord himself and the people of Israel. 
the people of Israel had returned from exile. And they had rebuilt the city, rebuilt the temple. And yet they had forgotten God and his goodness. They loved the idea that they had their own city once again. They loved the idea that they had their own spirituality, spiritual world once again. But they had forgotten about the love of God. But the posture of the people was not one of humility to accept rebuke. The posture of the people was to ask questions to God, trying to justify themselves that they have been, as they have been faithful. And so in the first disputation, they asked God, how have we not loved you? How have we forgotten your love? We, of course we love you. And God says to them, you have, not, you have not loved me. You have forgotten how much I loved you. And last week we, we saw that God's reminder to us of, our, of his love for us is a love that is unconditional to God's people. He loved you before the foundations of the world. He loved you before you even came to exist. His love for you is eternal from beginning to the end. He knows how you were born. He knows how you will live. He knows the ends of your days. And through all of that, he sustains you. He nurtures you. He loves you. There is nothing that happens in your life that is out of his purview. And he does all things for you, for your good and for his glory. We rest in peace in his love. This electing love is a mystery if we try to think too much about it in our, in our minds. And that's a whole other lecture we can talk about in terms of election. But one thing we know about this electing love, one of the purposes of electing love in Scripture is to assure you that God's love will never fail. And so the people of Israel had to contend with that question. Do you love me? Do you love me? And just like Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, when, when Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do. Do you love me? Of course I do. Do you love me? Peter's like, why are you asking me this question? To Peter, he says, feed my sheep. To most of us and many of us, if you love him, act in accordance with that love. An electing love that will never fail. How has he loved you? Do you have time for the Lord to stand before you and count the ways? Maybe we need time like that, don't we not? That our hearts may be broken before him. Today's disputation is, is similar to that as we keep going and look at the six disputations. We see how God himself 
continues to bring us closer to his presence. The second disputation is about worship. If you love me, you must worship me. If you say that you are my people, and if you say that I am your God, you must worship me. Now you would think that these people who have returned from exile would remember all the evil things and terrible things that happened to them. They have a, a record now from the beginning of Genesis all the way to this moment. They have seen how the prophets were treated. They have seen their nation being destroyed. They have seen pillars of fire. They have seen miracles. They have seen God provide. They have seen God punish. And yet here they are doing the same thing as the people in the past, following after their idols. All people, you and I, we all worship what we love. Idolatry is not something we do and we say, oh my goodness, I idolize money, but I hate money. No, you, you love your idols. We love our idols. Idolatry is something that is a part of our human nature, unfortunately. And these idolatries change and transform. And every time that we deal with one idol, well, another one will pop up. As many of you get older and older in your age and perhaps go through different life stages, you see that. And your idols become more sophisticated. And in fact, your idols affect even more people and not just yourself. Your idols, when you're a little child that you want this little toy and want as much as possible, it's cute. It's still an idol. But as you grow older to your teenage years, your college years, perhaps you get married, perhaps you have children, Idols become more complicated, more confusing. But we all love our idols. No matter how it affects us or other people around us, make no mistake about it. We love our idolatries. And God is speaking to us and saying, do not love your idolatries, but love me. And there's three things here very quickly to go over. First, God deserves all worship and all praise from his people. This has never changed from the beginning of time. God is the one who deserves the best of what you have. God is the one who deserves your, the best of your sacrifices the, the best of your abilities, the best of your time, the best of your energy. God has given you all these things that he may be worshipped, that his kingdom may be raised up. 
This is not something new. This is something that God has encountered from the very beginning. When he loved Abel's sacrifice, but Cain's he's despised. And we see that he, he loved Abel because of Abel's heart. To love the Lord and to give him the best of whatever he had. The Lord himself has given you all things. And the responsible thing in love is to give him the best of who we are and what we have. I remember during college days, and perhaps many of you who still have free time in your single days, there's always a moment in your college life where you would say, it's the optimal time for me to study, or it's the optimal time for me to get work done. Some of you, it's in the morning, 6 to 8 in the morning, not many of you. For a lot of you, it could be in the evening, 9 to 11. And you say, this is my optimal time. This is when my, 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 my mind is focused. This is when my, 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 my heart is focused. And you say to yourself, well, how am I going to use that time? God says, I want that time. That time belongs to me. I have given you all things. When you get your first paycheck, I know that's an exciting part when you get your first paycheck. And then you see how much taxes are really taken out. And you begrudgingly give those taxes because, well, you have no choice. It's taken away from the very beginning. And then you realize that, that, the, that the church, that God desires for you to give as well. And oftentimes our hearts are just like the same as when we see our taxes taken out. Oh my goodness, I got to do this as well. And our mind is focused more on what we have left than it is in the fact of the joy of being able to give back to the Lord. God, from the very beginning, has given you all things. Will he not continue to give more according to his wisdom and knowledge? Just because we perceive that he has taken away or perceive that he is going to take away our best, we automatically think that God himself does not know what he's doing. God deserves all that is best from us for he has given to us all that is best of himself. Second thing, second point, what is it that the people of God have done? What is it the priests have done that, that God is so upset about? It's not the fact that they aren't coming to the temple to worship. It's the fact that their attitude has changed. Instead of bringing their best, they're still giving. But they're giving their seconds, their thirds. They're giving what is left over to the Lord. And, and God is upset. 
And God is rightfully upset. And he's upset even more at the priests themselves because the priests are allowing this to happen. The priests are allowing them to, to, to not bring the, the, the firstborn um, goat, of not bringing the first fruits of their harvest. But the priests are accepting anything and getting very lazy with worshiping God himself. The priests are fearful of the people. Now you may say, and the question arises, like, why are priests doing this? Wouldn't it be more advantageous for them to simply say, hey, you need to bring your best so that you can, you know, because the food that you bring is the food that the priests eat. The, the offerings you give is, is what the, the priests live on. You might say, why are the priests not demanding more? Isn't that more human nature? But the priests and the people have all gotten lazy. And worshiping God has become a secondary thing. For the priest, the way I see this, I read this, priests just don't want to work. They don't want to do the hard things. Why rebuke people? I mean, the firstborn of a calf is going to still taste the same as the thirdborn of the calf. And people's hearts have fallen far from the Lord. What does God do here? This is the longest of the disputations in Malachi. And in this disputation, God rebukes the priests. He rebukes the leaders. He rebukes those who bring God, into, who brings the people into God's presence to worship. He rebukes the priests for their laziness. He rebukes the priests for allowing the people of God to simply have half-hearted worship. For he understands that if the priests themselves will not stand in the gap to teach properly, to lead people properly, to have, if I can say this, hard discussions, to have even people not come at all to bring sacrifices unto the Lord, if the priests themselves are not, are not willing to stand before God and keep the purity of the temple, then who else is there to stand? And so God rebukes them. We, as a church, we can think about this in a myriad of ways here in the 21st century. We ourselves as God's people, we need to come to the Lord in heartful worship to God. We're not here to simply fill seats. Sunday is not sort of just an optional time to come and worship him. But we gather together 
with all of our hearts in his mercy to sing praises to him, to know his goodness. We reserve this time as the best time of, of, of what we have during the week to come before him and say, I want to worship you, Lord, with soundness of mind, with rested, rested hearts as much as I'm able to. Because, God, you deserve the best of me. I remember when I was in college, I always go back to college. College is like the, it's really easy to delineate things. But for me, college, my Sabbath started, and my friends, our Sabbath started Saturday evening at 10 p.m. And we would, at 10 p.m., we would rest. And our goal was to have a wonderful night's sleep so that we could worship the Lord on Sunday. Be alert when we teach, when we did Sunday school for the high school kids on Sunday. For we knew that those two, three hours were precious to God. A time where we receive God's word. And the time when, when, when we would teach these high school kids to be alert to teach them about God and who they who He is. And then when we got back from church, from lunch until dinner, our duty was to rest. <laughs> And Sunday evening, we prayed for our week, back to school, back to work. All right, God, time to go. But for us as God's people, we're here to give what we can, not just what we can, but, but, it, but to give the best to the Lord. Will he not give you what you need? Has he already not been faithful to you? For me as a pastor and for our future elders, we cannot compromise what God, who God is and what he has taught us. That our duty is to set before you the picture of a holy God who deserves to be worshipped. Our order of worship of what we do here, we do not choose these elements of worship just out of our heart or out of our mind just to figure out what is the, the best way to bore you guys. But all the elements that are here are because God has prescribed them in his word. We do this because God has told us to do them. And if God has told us to do them, we need to lead you into the worship of God's Worship of God himself with all of these elements. Not skipping anything. Not replacing them with something that's a little bit more in tune with today's culture. But that which brings God glory. And lastly...
We only have one priest who is able to proclaim God's word faithfully. We only have one Israel who's able to love God fully. One Israel who's able to worship God faithfully. One Israel who's able to bring sacrifices to God faithfully. It is who Malachi points to. These demands, these rebukes, these disputations points to our weaknesses and our inabilities, our leaders' weaknesses and inabilities. But it points us to the one who was able, Christ himself, your Savior. He is the one who sacrificed all things, the best of the best of who he is, his own life before you. Jesus did not offer second best or third best. In fact, there are many Gnostic traditions and even other religions that when they see and understand that Jesus is the Son of God, perfected Son of God, that he died on the cross, he gave himself up for his people, they can't handle that. God surely would never give the best of his best. No, the, the person who died on the cross was not Jesus. It was an angel. It was, it was a substitute. The people just missaw it. It was, it was an apparition that appeared like Jesus, but it was an angel because no way would God do that. But God did. Jesus gave the best of his best knowing that the best was waiting for him. You. To see many people's call to glory, you. To see many people who will believe. And Jesus is the one who taught perfectly. Who said harsh things to all people. You need to repent and believe who I am. And Jesus did it perfectly, truth and love mixed together. It is this Jesus who loves you. And it is this Jesus who calls you. And it is this Jesus who desires all of us here at this church to repent and to believe, to live our lives according to our faith, to the love that we have received, knowing that Jesus has already paid the, perf paid the price for us, that as we, as we labor to serve the Lord, we do so knowing that even the little that we give, God is pleased because Jesus has already paid everything else. 
Come to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Worship him. Give unto him. Not under compulsion, not under guilt, but out of love. For surely, surely, God has not withheld anything from us, but God has given us all that we need. And when the Lord returns, we shall have an inheritance, an eternity fold more than any of us can dare imagine. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to worship you in spirit and in truth. There is indeed no one like you. Lord, when we hear the disputations and the words of the people, have we not worshipped you? Have we not given enough? How have we not loved you? Why do you think we're not good enough for you? We've, we've done what we can, God. Father, we hear ourselves and we hear ungrateful hearts. We hear people trying to justify our actions. But Lord, when we look at, ye, at our Savior Christ, we do not see that. One who had every right to say all these things to us, have I not loved you? Have I not searched after you? Have I not forgiven you? But Lord, your love is perfect. And your love continues to be perfected in us. We ask that you help us as your people to be filled with the love of Christ. And in so being filled, Lord, May that love and that which overflows from that love be shared to all around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.